Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and gold. He will refine the sons of Levi and purify them so that they will bring righteous offerings to the Lord. If you were, by chance, looking for a new church, I can point one out to you. Uh, it's a church that I came across recently, um, and actually I found it a couple years ago and came back to it this week as I was getting ready for the sermon. Uh, this church uh, has a philosophy of, of comfort, convenience, and being casual. Those are three of the six C's. And th this church also um, says that it is light, um, it is fluffy, it is called Donut Church. And you can actually find it online, donutchurch.com. And when they describe their philosophy, one of the things they ask is, how can we expect less from our members? Another question they ask whenever they're put up against hard times is, well, what would Hollywood do? And by talking to you about Donut Church, I introduce you also to this false Christ that we're talking about today, the teddy bear, Jesus the teddy bear. To help us define what this is as we uh, continue in this sermon series of trying to figure out what our culture says about Jesus, the teddy bear is, is an anti-intellectual, the teddy bear is an anti-intellectual Jesus who's deeply uncomfortable with the cross, who seeks a warm spiritual experience for all of his followers. An anti-intellectual Jesus who's deeply uncomfortable with the cross, who seeks a warm spiritual experience for all of his followers. So let's kind of take that apart piece by piece. And I think as I explain it more, you'll start to recognize how this Christ has been present in our culture. And, and you probably heard him brought up in conversation, even if you didn't know it at the time. Starting off with the whole idea of an anti-intellectual Jesus. In other words, a Jesus that becomes deeply uncomfortable when the conversation becomes about doctrine or the finer points of Scripture. A follower of the teddy bear Christ when they're sort of following in that anti-intellectual vein, might say something like, oh, well, that's just doctrine. Or they might say something like, you don't have to study the Bible to experience Jesus. And that's certainly true to a point. There's no set amount of time or hours that one needs to study to experience Jesus. Jesus comes to us by his grace. He chooses us. He comes to us through the waters of baptism. And in many cases, he does that before we can even make a choice. He does that as infants or whatever age we might be. Jesus comes to us. But at the same time, it's hard to know who we're following and where he wants us to go if we have no idea what he says. Followers of the teddy bear Christ might actually come from very intellectual professions. They might be professors or school teachers or scientists or even doctors. And so there's a little bit of their faith that's out of sync with the rest of their lives. Religion is taught as something that shouldn't be for books or for study. Well, everything else is. The problem with that track of thinking is that we find ourselves, as the author of Hebrews puts it, like infants tossed back and forth by the waves, by every wind of doctrine. This teddy bear Jesus is also deeply uncomfortable with the cross. And that makes sense. We're using the metaphor of, of a false Christ coming to us like a teddy bear. 
it would be an uncomfortable sight to see a stuffed animal hanging nailed to a tree. But a follower of, of the teddy bear Christ might say something like, can't we just get past the cross? Why do we always have to talk about the cross all the time? Can't we get on to Christian living? Can't we talk more about the resurrection? Isn't that also important? And certainly the resurrection is important and Christian living is important. But the power in which we live is the power of the cross. Paul writes to the church of Corinth that when he was with them, he desired to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. If we don't talk about the cross, we rob the resurrection of its power. If we don't talk about the cross, then we also live, rob the very source of our Christian living of its power, Jesus who died for our sins and cleansed us with his blood to make us righteous. The followers of the teddy bear are deeply uncomfortable with the cross. They're also uncomfortable with those Old Testament stories of judgment. And you might have heard this from both those who claim to follow Jesus and even preachers and pastors that will say, we need to create some distance between ourselves and the Old Testament. We need to get away from that. And there are people who have honest struggles with stories like the flood or like Joshua and the, and the walls of Jericho where, where the armies of Israel charged in and, and everyone in those cities was killed. Those are difficult topics and there is honest struggle to be found there and I don't want to minimize that. There's good questions that we should be asking about those difficult stories from the Old Testament. And so I'm not going to pretend to answer all that right now either. But in keeping in line with this whole idea of a teddy bear Jesus, I would say that if you're encountering a follower of this teddy bear Christ and they're talking about how the Old Testament doesn't make sense to them, especially those stories of judgment, it might be because those stories point out how real the judgment of God is. And how terrifying a subject that is. And so instead, we turn to the teddy bear Jesus that speaks of none of those things. And finally, the teddy bear Jesus desires to provide a warm spiritual experience for all of his followers. Again, you might hear things like this, where Jesus needs to be experienced out in the world. Or, or people will say that, that you know, I, I hate religion, but I love Jesus. Or I don't like the church, but I love Jesus. Something along those lines. It's the quest to, to seek Jesus out in the world, to find him in our own hearts, or, or to sense him in some kind of undefined spiritual way. A way that, that comes across as saying, well, my heart was warmed by this, and my heart was made cold by that, so Jesus must be over here and not over there. For example, we do the same liturgy often. <laughs> we go through that. The danger there is that it can, it, it can become rote and routine. The other danger there is that if we don't feel particularly moved by it, we might say that we haven't worshipped, that we haven't felt God move among us somehow or something like that. But as followers of Jesus, we look to where Jesus says he will be, and we trust Jesus to do what he says he will do, whether we are moved internally or not. If Jesus says that your sins are forgiven and he speaks that to us in a service of worship, 
or if he speaks it to us on a morning that's cold outside and drizzly and we're just there with our Bibles waiting for the power to come on, we may not feel moved emotionally. But even then we trust God's Word to do what it says it does, to forgive sins, to call us to repentance, to give us new life. We turn away from focusing on feeling a warm spiritual experience to looking at what God's Word says. Hopefully along, part of that, our emotions are moved, that we do experience the presence of Jesus. But even if we don't feel that, we know what God says. And He says He's here. And He says He's busy cleansing our hearts. So we trust Him. Malachi, in his book, he presents to us a totally different Messiah than the teddy bear Jesus. Malachi might be the last prophet to write a book before the time of the New Testament. And so we find a people in Jerusalem struggling. They're struggling because they've come back from the exile out of Babylon that happened many years ago for them now. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And all that was an amazing and incredible God-led success. But now they find themselves still a very small nation, very feeble, weak. And what's more, after all the promises they've heard from God, the Messiah still has not yet come. And when you're waiting on a promise for a long time, you might begin to question whether or not God loves you. And that's exactly where the book begins. God speaks to a people who are questioning his love for them. And he reminds them of his covenant promise. I chose Jacob, not Esau. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Out of all the nations of the world, I chose you, Israel, the offspring of Abraham, for a people for myself. And we find that this God is very much alive and awake, even in these days of Jerusalem when their strength is waning, where the wait is getting just interminably long. This Yahweh, this God, sees all that is happening in Israel. He sees how the people are, are, are scraping the bottom of the barrel to offer God a sacrifice. They're offering from their herds the weak and the sick of their flocks. They're giving them the very last bit of grain after they've used most of it for themselves. He's seeing how the priests are no longer instructing people in God's word and how they're accepting these cheap offerings from the people. He sees how divorce is rampant when there's one thing that God wants. He wants mother and father together to raise godly children, but that's not happening, happening because people have taken marriage lightly in Malachi's day. He's a God who sees everything that is going on. And he promises to his people a quick visitation, a time of judgment. And Malachi asks this question, that when the day of judgment comes, who will stand? When the day of judgment comes, who will stand? Because when Yahweh comes, he will come as a refiner. And the thing about refining, and you might have heard it in the children's message, if you pour in something like silver into a hot cauldron, 
The silver that becomes purified pours out of the pot, while the stuff that is impure remains in the heat. It doesn't come out of the pot. And so that's the work of the Lord. He's coming to bring a warm spiritual experience <laughs> to the people of Israel. He's coming first through a messenger who will preach the law, who will tell them to prepare the way. And then he himself will come and visit his people quickly. The word for us now, as we await the second coming of Christ, as we look and see the promises of Scripture being fulfilled, the word for us is prepare. And so that message from John the Baptist is indeed a life-saving message when he says prepare the way, when he tells us that the axe is very near the root of the trees, when he calls us to repentance, when he calls us to honest living. Because God is indeed a refiner. Jesus is a refiner. He's a refiner of his people. And Luther describes it like this. Not only is Jesus the refiner, but he's also the fire. He's both the refiner and the fire. He is the one who is active among his people, pouring out his spirit, calling his people to that painful repentance to turn up those sins that have been lodged in the heart, to take the things that we have called good and call them what they really are, which is evil and wicked, and give them over to God. And then the trust that his son Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all of our sins chief difference between the teddy bear and the refiner is that we look to the false Christ, the teddy bear, for comfort the moment the word makes us uncomfortable. We step out of the fire, the heat of God's law, and cling to the soft, squishy, cuddly, cotton for brains, false Christ. But truly what God desires is that we would stay in that heat that we would let God's word break us, that we would pay attention to it, that when his law is preached, we would explore our lives and leave no stone unturned. Because when we turn to him, he turns to us. He offers that cleansing blood that covers us for all of our sins. And a funny thing happens. When our hearts are broken, by God's word, when our hearts are broken in repentance, then real worship happens. Then real worship happens. So often we get caught up in, well, it doesn't feel like this or it doesn't look like that or, it's, or it doesn't match what I see out there in the world. But if we are real about worship, it is when our hearts are broken by God's law and we come to hear that life-saving, quenching, refreshing gospel of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, who bore the pain of your sin on the cross. So often we dumb down repentance. We say that, oh, it's just something we say at the beginning of the service, or oh, it's a pr quick prayer that we whisper before bed. But if we're true and real about repentance, then we acknowledge that we are pulling that wickedness that has lodged itself, that has taken on a life in our hearts. And brothers and sisters, that hurts. And yet it is the work of God. The teddy bear Jesus would direct us away from the cross, but the Spirit would guide us directly to it. That we might die to our sins for as much as that hurts.
and be brought back to new life. And there, worship begins. In the Psalms, God tells us that he will not despise a broken heart or a contrite spirit. While he's rejecting the half-hearted offerings that are coming up from Jerusalem, he never rejects a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So then what do I do? If I find this false Christ has lodged itself in my heart, the one that says, you know what, study is for school, not for God's word. I'm looking for something that moves us past the cross or a warm spiritual experience. What do I do? Well, the answer is the same <laughs> for all of our false Christ. First, repent. Acknowledge your sins before God, but, but hear the words that God will be a refiner. He does not seek to destroy the sinner, but to bring the sinner to new life. And if we find the teddy bear Christ in conversation with others, again, in this congregation, we have a six-month challenge. Get to know somebody you don't know, or get to know somebody that you don't know that well, and perhaps there'll be an opportunity to serve or pray or be in conversation about Jesus with them. And should you be in conversation about Jesus with them and you hear talk of this teddy bear Christ, work gently and slowly. Don't railroad them and fix their problems, but instead point out the sufferings of Christ. Point out the sufferings of Paul in the Scriptures. Look to Malachi chapter 3 and see how the suffering that comes from repentance is a refining suffering. God does not desire us to move away from the cross, rather towards it, to cling to it, to die that we might rise again. Because there, we really begin to worship. And to illustrate that, I'll close with a story. There was a, a pastor that I heard a little while ago that was new to his congregation. He was there for a few months. And at this congregation, somewhere in the Dakotas, the custodian was really doing an awful job. <laughs> and she was getting up there in, in, in age, maybe late 80s, early 90s. And she continued on. And everyone was just too nice to say, OK, we need to find somebody different. And so the, the pastor is thinking about this as he is walking down the hallway one day during the week, and there is that poor custodian, and she's leaning on her mop after haphazardly going down the hallway. And he walks by her, and he offers her just a simple hello, but she says to him something that kind of stops him in his tracks. After he says hello, she says, do you know how long I've waited for you to get here? And he said, no, I don't. You see, it had been some time since that church had had a pastor. She said, my husband died several years ago. And many years before that, I had an affair. I never told him. And the guilt has been eating me alive. And she continues to tell her story to this pastor, and he stands there and listens silently. And when she is done, he does one thing. He raises his hand. He said, Almighty God in his mercy has given his only son to die for you and 
for his sake, forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, I therefore forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. She heard those words. She dropped to her knees began to weep, said, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have no idea how much I needed to hear that. A broken heart, a heart that is being refined by Christ, is where real worship begins. Amen.